Welcome to 2022 here on Tyler Geis's Basement. Uh, I hope everybody had a nice, safe, and happy New Year. Haven't dropped an episode since New Year's Eve. It's been a few days. Uh, hope everybody, I don't know, just had a good time with someone, or even if you just went to bed at 9.30 like I wanted to but ended up not doing. That was cool. Hope you guys stayed safe from all the fucking coronavirus variants also. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't go to bed at 9 o'clock. I actually went to bed probably at 1 o'clock in the morning because, you know, um, everybody in my neighborhood likes to fire off fireworks. And that's cool if you go to a fireworks show. I went to fireworks events when I was a kid and I was a teenager, and, you know, they're fun. You know, it's a good social gathering. You know, you get to watch 20, 30 minutes of a fireworks show at the end. It's awesome. Kicks ass. I love it. I'm going to take my kids to... You know, I'm going to take my kids to a fireworks show someday, most likely, for 4th of July and probably not for New Year's. Uh, but that's the thing. I, I'm just going to tell you about my New Year's Eve and why I was up till 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm turning into an old man. And I know I'm kind of sounding like I'm a bit of an old man. But um, everybody on my street decided to light off fireworks. And, and some people did it here and there. Some people just had a few things. But there's a guy that lives a couple blocks over, and I haven't been able to pinpoint his fucking house yet. Uh, from about 6.30 at night till about 12.30, fireworks nonstop. My dog fucking hates it, but I, my dog was actually pretty cool this time. You know, I guess he's kind of got accustomed to thunderstorms and fireworks. Uh, they, they usually make him kind of nervous and get, make him kind of shaky and give him anxiety, but he was actually pretty cool. But me, on the other hand, who's had to work uh, the past couple New Year's Eves have missed out on this fiasco and received text messages from my wife of how absolutely batshit crazy it is. It sounds like a war zone outside, and it fucking does. So, look, I don't want to be that neighbor, but put it this way. When I find out where this guy lives, and I know it's a guy, it has to be a guy. <laughs> I'm, put it this way, I'm not picking up the dog shit off his lawn when my dog takes a shit on his lawn. Uh, kept my ass up all night. I didn't get to go to bed early. And I know I just sound like a grumpy old man, but you don't need to be lighting off fireworks for six fucking hours on New Year's Eve. Anywho, there's my rant to kick off 2022. I had kind of a relaxing night despite all the fireworks. But enough about the fireworks for now. Uh, you know, my wife and I just kind of stayed in, watched a few things on TV. You know, I had a few beers, and I have a few left over from New Year's Eve. And the new th a new thing here on the show is uh, I'm a big craft beer drinker. I know you're immediately getting this picture of those, you know, beer snobs out there with big, long beards who, you know, know everything about IPAs and whatnot. Uh, I don't, you know, consider myself part of that group. I just really like cool beers that are crafty and, well, craft beers, of course, that have, you know, certain kind of flavors and certain kind of things mixed in and a new thing on the show I'm going to do uh, as best as I can hopefully every week and you know if I got a guest on I'll find a way to maybe still plug the brewery in the beer uh, but I'm just going to you know give a shout out to what I'm drinking while I record because I like to have you know I just like to throw one back while I'm doing it loosens me up a little bit even though if I'm even if I'm sitting here talking to myself uh, but today I'm drinking a Citra IPA that's called The Warrior. And the cool thing about it is the logo on it is a complete reference to 
the ultimate warrior, the old professional wrestler back in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, I grew up watching the ultimate warrior when I was a kid. I grew up watching wrestling. I mean, I, I don't really watch much of wrestling anymore. I mean, I go back and kind of watch retro stuff every now and then all the way up to the attitude era. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I know my wrestling. I don't really know any contemporary stuff going on besides John Cena and the fact that I guess the undertaker did finally retire, but, um, yeah, it's called the warrior. The logo on it is pretty much a face that looks like the ultimate warrior with the ultimate warrior, a guy with the ultimate warrior face paint on it. So it's clearly supposed to be that. And the uh, character's hair is a bunch of uh, hops. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just it's just it's just kind of cool. And it is. I also want to mention the brewery, which is a place I've been to down here in Orlando, Florida. The Orange County Brewers. Um, it's a cool place. Checked it out a few times. And you know, it's kind of cool when breweries make you know, beers that are kind of referencing something cool in pop culture. I always jump at them and give it a try and you know, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's got a nice fruity IPA taste to it. So shout out to them for making a cool beer because uh, I'm drinking it while I record this episode. In no way is this show sponsored by the Orange County Brewers down here in Orlando, Florida. But um, again, I'm just, you know, giving shout outs to places that um, make some pretty cool craft beers that I like to sip on while I'm cutting an episode. Excuse me while I take one more sip of my Citra IPA. Good stuff. Uh, okay. So like I had said, uh, I was watching some movies with my wife on New Year's Eve, and I watched a few independently on my own. I went back to the movie theater multiple times during my little like staycation I had between the day job and pretty much right now today I had about like 11 days of some housework to do some writing to get done and I wanted to catch a few things in the theaters one of them I saw was Spider-Man No Way Home which I talked about last week with um, Chris Carantit on What You Watching but I did go back to the theater and I'm going to talk about what I saw in a minute but I, I, I this is kind of a good time around the holidays to watch those movies that are coming out at the end of the year a lot of them are you know, Oscar bait movies, you know, you know, the holidays usually have movies that are trying to get those last minute ditch efforts into potentially award season hopefuls. And there were a few that I caught. Um, I would probably say three out of the four of them. I, I saw four, right? Yeah, I saw f four movies I want to talk about here today. Uh, but I'd say three of them are kind of Oscar hopefuls, I would say, based on the subject matter and the people involved. And, you know, you know, I know I talk a lot of genre filmmaking on here, but there I also talk a lot of films on here regardless of what they are. And I think everybody should broaden their horizon and not just stick to one thing that they like. And I definitely did that because I know, you know, I interview a lot of people in genre filmmaking, but I don't get to interview the big-time A-listers, at least not yet. But um, I caught a few really, really awesome flicks that are very popular, very contemporary, and I think you all should check out. And away we go with my end of the year, I guess you could call this the, like, I don't know what to call it, maybe the, like, end of the year movie roundup, even though we're now in the beginning of the year. <laughs> so, whatever, I'll think of some sort of list, and I'll name the episode after that. So, first on my list, uh, I caught Matrix Resurrections. 
and I think I watched it Christmas night. And the movie had been out for a couple days. It got a theatrical release, but, you know, just like how HBO Max has been doing pretty much the whole year of 2021 with, you know, not trying to take a loss. So they'll throw a movie in theaters, but you can also catch it on HBO Max if you got it. And I I think it does like a a 30-day run on HBO Max. But I watched Matrix Resurrections. Uh, I know damn well by the time a franchise hits the fourth installment, especially since it's been about what like 16 17 years maybe since the third one came out uh i'm not going in with high hopes i'll just start with that and let me clarify i'm hoping that it's still pretty good and i'm hoping they actually take some chances because by the time you hit the fourth fifth sixth installment of any franchise you know just like in like slasher films where you get that far in a franchise you should experiment a little bit and try something new And if it falls on its face, whatever. It's the fucking fourth installment in a franchise. What do you expect? So I kind of went in knowing that. And I wasn't expecting it to be really, really good. I wasn't expecting it to be really, really bad. I was just expecting the film to kind of try something new and, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And I think that's what Matrix Resurrections does. There's a little bit, and I don't want to get too spoilery. For anybody who hasn't seen it, again, spoiler warning in case something kind of slips. I might say some things in the next few minutes or in the next the rest of the episode with other films I'm going over that might spoil stuff for you. So spoiler alert for this episode, even though I'm going to try to avoid a lot of spoilery plot points of the films I'm talking about today. But spoiler alert. Anyway, Matrix Resurrections opens up um, with kind of a new take. Kind of, it opens up kind of just like how the first, I want to say two, the first one reloaded opens up. But I noticed there's like a really cool twist going on from the perspective of these new characters and seeing what's happening and what they're seeing. And it, it, it was, I was like, okay, okay, this is kind of cool. This is, this is definitely something interesting. And then by the time Keanu Reeves hits the screen and he's Neo and you, you see where he's basically been since the, third one or since the whatever one they're trying to completely connect this one to he's he's very he's, he's different we meet neo and he's pretty much he's he's like the head not, not the head guy he's not head honcho in charge but he is pretty much like the the ace at this video game company and creating this video game franchise which is basically the matrix and um, it's kind of his job. And I thought it's kind of cool because there's scenes where with other people in the movie, and I'm not going to give that away, but they're basically being set up as the potential villain, uh, the new agent, basically, uh, who's in pursuit of Neo. They kind of wink at the fact that they're making a new installment into this franchise. It's it's not, you know, the original. They need to try something new, it feels like. And... You know, they even say that the company's overlord, you know, parent company is Warner Brothers. And it's Warner Brothers that's releasing, you know, the Matrix films, including this one. So I thought that was kind of a cool wink at the audience. And I almost like took it back all the way up to the direct. Lana Wachowski is back to make this fourth one. It used to be the Wachowskis made it. uh, They made the first three together. uh, But it's just her this time. And... I feel like, you know, I kind of sensed her attitude towards making the film kind of making its way to the surface of the plot. 
and kind of these little plot points in the the first act and uh it's almost like you know she had this mentality of oh you want me to make a fourth matrix sure fine but i'm gonna do it this way and (laughs) this is how it's gonna come across and um I, i was actually watching in an interview with her i think it was at the world premiere of the movie she was quoted with saying you know you know, some somebody asked, you know, why another Matrix movie? Why now? Why, why are we getting, you know, a, a fourth Matrix? And she said, like, you know, no, oh, it wasn't planned. It wasn't orchestrated. It's just something that kind of happened. And I remember thinking, eh, that is a perfect definition for this movie, in my opinion. It, it, it does at times feel a little poorly put together out of the gate. I, I don't know. Like, it's really nice to see Neo and Trinity back together in the film. And, and the film is really... And I know a lot, you know, I know the other ones, you know, do have a focus on their story together and, you know, the love story of that, of them. But I feel like this one, this, that is so much more at the forefront of this movie, it feels like at times. It just feels like the two of those characters finding each other again. And it's really elaborate and creative how they, how they find each other. I really enjoyed that part about the movie. Um, I will say this, once the movie, you know, picks up some steam out of that first act, I kind of lost a little bit of interest in it. Um, It just didn't, it didn't feel, and this is just the nostalgia of the first one in me, I feel, and I know a lot of people don't like Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, but I actually do. I I like Reloaded. I, I think there's maybe some special effects that Maybe they should go back and touch up now with the technology we have, but uh, and the third one as well. I I can see why people don't like it. It really doesn't feel like a Matrix movie at times, um, but I still kind of enjoy, you know, how we explore more of the the world that we actually live in in the movie. In that, I mean, I also haven't seen it in maybe about ten years, but I didn't hate it like everybody else does. And, I don't hate this fourth one, but I just, I felt like it just didn't stick the landing. I'm not going to say what the landing is. I I just, it didn't, I feel like it missed its mark a little bit for me, you know, at the climax of the film. And uh, that all being said, I'm not going to write it off completely. I think I'm going to give it another shot because a lot of the films that the Wachowskis make, even though, again, this one... I think is pretty much just Lana that made this, you know, the directing pair of the Wachowskis. There's two of them. I think I specified and, you know, if if you don't know their story, I don't know why you listen to this show, <laughs> but they make the two of them make a lot of films that I think are kind of duds out of the gate, at least in the last 10 years, a lot of the stuff they've made bomb. They've made, I think a string of films that just, just didn't hit financially, but I think there's just like a little niche crowd of people that love those movies. Um, those movies being like um, Speed Racer that came out, I think, back in 2008, which was just like a disaster financially. But I've starting to been hearing on podcasts and on the internet and whatnot that movie's starting to find its audience a little bit. And I saw it in theaters, and it was it was good. But I didn't love it, so I'm kind of thinking like maybe I should go back and uh, check it out, give it another chance. Uh, another film, which is a film I actually will fucking champion till the day I die, is called uh, Cloud Atlas, which is a book adaptation off of a great book as well. 
but the movie I think just elevates the message and what is being told so well out of that book. And that movie again was kind of a box office bomb. And if you've never, if you don't know Cloud Atlas, um, I know Chris Carantit, who's on, was just on this show, and I know he listens to, is gonna love me talking about this because him and I back in, I think it came out October like 2012. Him and I, when we saw the preview for this, we were like, yes, that is a fucking movie for you. Um, we got like really smoked a ton of weed and went to the theater and saw it. And, uh, I, I remember this movie's two out just under three hours. It's like clocks in at two hours and 50 minutes. Um, you think, you know, smoking the amount of marijuana we did that night, uh, we would have passed out in the theater. Nope. We were there for every frame and we talked about it for days and days and days. And I still think that movie still hasn't found its audience, but I still find people talking about it from time to time. Like on the internet, that Cloud Atlas was this masterpiece that nobody watched. And to give the, you the plot point of Cloud Atlas, it's pretty much these stories of people throughout history. Like one takes place on a, uh, it's a like it's a European guy. Different plot lines, but the strange thing is, is a lot of them aren't different because it's about these different stories like interwoven throughout time and how things just parallel each other over time over and over and over again no matter what's going on in the world so like you have one story that's um about a um this uh european guy a british guy on a boat it's a i think it's a it's a slave ship basically um and you know some interesting things happen to him and you know you have this other character played by Halle Berry in the 1970s she's this you know journalist who uncovers like a conspiracy i mean you have this story of these two, um, you know, gay lovers in the 1920s, and you have this story of this old man, this old man looking for his like long lost love, and things happen to him. And then you have like these, these stories that take place in the future, like in like Neo South, like South Korea, like Neo Seoul, I think is what it's called. Uh, and then you know you got like this like brand new civilization that's in the future and it's like after the fall of man and everybody who's left and this new world that has been crafted and you know something happens there and everything's just so interwoven and all the cast members play different roles throughout the movie tom hanks halle berry uh, hugh grant hugo weaving uh who the hell else is in that movie but anyway um yeah cloud atlas is another one of the wachowski film wachowski films it's another one of their films that uh, has just, you know, I think is going to find its audience soon. I think we'll be talking about that movie a lot in like 30 years. Um, and then there's Jupiter Ascending, which I still have never seen. And I heard it was a box office bomb. But uh, I kind of want to check it out. And I think a lot of those movies I just said are streaming on like Netflix and HBO Max. So I recommend that. And I think where I was getting at with all of that is... Yeah, Matrix Resurrections, I kind of, I didn't hate it, but I, I, like I said, I don't think it stuck the landing like how I wanted it to, or how I wished it would have. I, I can't be entitled and say I wanted it to do this, but like how I wished it would. But I'm going to probably revisit this again maybe in a couple years and see if I get it and see if I can see it in fresh eyes. And maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I just didn't connect with it out of the gate, but 
you never know what'll happen. I'm not going to say don't watch it. It's the Matrix. You should at least check it out for yourself. It's been very polarizing. People either get it and love it, or people just fucking thought it was garbage. And I don't like to use terms like that if I don't like something, but, you know, teach their own. Uh, but it's streaming now on HBO Max, I think, probably for most of this month or catch it in theaters, but I saw it on HBO Max, so give it a shot. Now, next up is something I want to talk about because it's fresh in my mind because I'm recording this on Saturday, January 1st. It'll air January 3rd on Monday, and I watched it on New Year's Eve, uh, Being the Ricardos on Amazon Prime. So this has been out for a few weeks, I think, and I think... I believe you can maybe catch it in some theaters here and there, maybe select theaters, maybe New York or L.A. Uh, I'm not sure where, but it is streaming on Amazon Prime, and I think they're putting it in theaters because, you know, you know, trying to get an Oscar run, that's the rules. They, they have to get a theatrical release to qualify for, you know, any sort of award season nominations and whatnot, and rightfully so because you have two of our best actors living today playing two iconic roles in uh, television in the, in the TV industry. Uh, Nicole Kidman playing Lucille Ball and Javier Bardem playing uh, Desi Arnaz. Uh, this takes place when they were married. Uh, their marriage was about 20 years. I, th I think they were, eh, I don't know. That, that's besides the point. <laughs> they eventually got divorced. But um, this movie also has, this movie's like a great cast, mind you. It's got, also got J.K. Simmons playing William Frawley. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he played um, Fred on I Love Lucy. I thought it was cool to see him in there. Uh, yeah, there are supporting roles throughout it, like guys like Clark Gregg, who plays um, one of the executives at CBS, who's, I guess you can say, kind of not really in a villain role, but playing a typical snobby, you know, studio executive. And snobby isn't even really the right word, but, you know, studio executives have a... Um, know have things that they have to follow and get done and in the 1950s i'm sure they were a little the rules were a little more harsh on women with what they could do on television hence why i think uh, lucille ball was such a trailblazer but back to the movie the film is written and directed by aaron sorkin uh you know aaron sorkin's been taking up some directing gigs a lot in the past five years and i think he's been pretty successful at it and uh he is also probably one of the best living writer screen He's also probably one of the best screenwriters living today and working. Uh, you just know an Aaron Sorkin script when you hear it, when he, when what, with the dialogue and kind of how things are structured in a scene. Uh, he has such a presence, even when he's just a writer on something. But this movie takes place in 1952 when uh, Lucy and Desi, Lucy and Ricky, on the show. But um, there was a big, pretty much personal and professional situation going on in their lives that really threatened their careers and the relationship between the two of them and what would eventually maybe affect their hit television show that was booming by this time I think I think they give you the numbers on how many people were watching I Love Lucy at this time in America I, you know sometimes you know I, I think the, the numbers were you know people watch a hit show these days it's you know 10 million people a night I think it was like 60 million people watching I Love Lucy on Monday nights back in 1952, I guess. Uh, just a staggering number how much people love this show and love this woman at the forefront. And so this movie takes place kind of within a... The, the main focus takes place within a week 
and during that week that is when the tabloids have gone crazy with a lot of people thinking uh, Desi Arnaz was cheating and having enough multiple affairs on Lucy when she was like at the height of her stardom and to add insult to injury I guess that's the right phrase but Lucy was under I guess investigation uh, by all the powers that be in Hollywood that were going after communism and everybody believed that Lucy was a communist and it really focuses on you know the week of how they made an episode while all this is going on with some flashbacks that go back to the early part of their relationship so my initial thoughts out of the gate uh, were Nicole Kidman is a surefire uh, candidate for a nominee for best actress at the Oscars this year uh, she's perfect as Lucy off camera you know I, I mean I, I don't really know much about what she was like off camera but I I guess you could say, you know, I trust Aaron Sorkin as a writer and researching, you know, this this kind of material. And, you know, Nicole Kidman, I trust her with being able to to deliver in a role like this. And I just have to say she's absolutely a powerhouse. Off Playing Lucy off camera from the show and also playing the Lucy we know from I Love Lucy. Javier Bardem, without a shadow of a doubt, is probably a surefire candidate for Best Supporting Actor as well. He is just, he kills it playing Desi Arnaz. Uh, he just nails that persona down completely again with a persona you would see on and off screen uh, playing the role of Ricky Ricardo. Um, it, it just, they're, they're, they're great together. They have phenomenal chemistry uh, it's a real nice bird's eye view of the film and TV industry in the 1950s. Um, I, I, I completely forgot this movie was out on Amazon Prime for a few weeks. So when me and my wife and I were looking for something to watch and I just dropped that, she didn't even have to watch the trailer. We were just boom in this thing for a little over two hours, I guess is what you could call it. Uh, my only thing to be nitpicky about, and I think maybe it's because maybe this was shot last year when film sets went back to work during covid uh the film does feel a little condensed you don't get too much of a slice of life and kind of getting the i mean you get it in the dialogue which is a, again a testament to aaron sorkin you, you get that with you know the world but a lot of this is really much filmed on the sound stages that the show was takes place on um, you, you do get some flashback scenes, but nothing too like over the top, nothing where it seems like there's, I mean, there's definitely a lot of money being thrown out of it, but nothing too outrageous. So I feel like the film is a little condensed, just probably based off of maybe when this thing shot, I could be wrong. Maybe they just, maybe they shot it before COVID. Maybe they didn't, I don't know, but I, 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 it does feel a little jam packed into you know, the setting of the movie, but again, you know, the performances are great, that, you know, the, the writing is great, the direction is great, um, and there were a few parts where I got kind of lost with some points that I think we're trying to come across in the movie, but uh, this, this movie's just definitely a fun, Oscar-worthy movie that is available on Amazon Prime for you all to check out, I mean, I've, I've said on the show with a past guest, uh, we, me and her were talking about, uh, Lucille Ball and how much of an icon she was and she really was I grew up watching I Love Lucy uh, VHS tapes I think there you get like three episodes on a tape my sister collected them and you know I, I just grew up worshiping that woman she's such a talent to kind of get to know 
things that were, and I, I, I remember hearing the stories of Desi Arnaz not being the most faithful husband in the world. And I remember hearing the stories about her and communism, but um, it was kind of good to get to know the personal side of her and who she was off camera and how much of a badass she was against these CBS executives who were telling her, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, you know, she was all just kind of like, you want me to do a show here, so I'm going to do my kind of show. And she got her kind of show. Um, yeah, for someone, for a woman in the 1950s to have the kind of persona she had on air is such a badass. So be sure to check it out. Streaming on Amazon Prime right now. All right, back to a more polarizing movie I caught. Uh, I think I watched this the... Maybe I watched Matrix Resurrections the day after Christmas, and I watched this one Christmas night. That's besides the point. But Netflix released um, Adam McKay's new comedy, drama, horror movie, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a real-life horror movie. I think it's funny as hell, and I think it's absolutely embarrassing how funny I find the movie because there's so much truth to what's going on in it. Uh, Don't Look Up is the title of the movie. I'm not just telling you to not look up. Don't Look Up is available on Netflix right now. It has such a huge A-list cast. You have Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence in the leads. Meryl Streep plays the President of the United States. And I know what you're thinking. Sometimes when movies come out where there is a woman playing the President, it's kind of this, you know, vibe of like, fuck yeah, it's a woman in office, you know. She's a badass woman getting things done. No, Meryl Streep plays like the worst fucking president we could ever have, who just also happens to be a woman. Jonah Hill is in there, I believe, as the president's uh, press secretary, who's also slash her son, and he plays a hilarious, complete douchebag. And he he just, like, he's he kills it. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another supporting actor nomination. I don't know if he'd be good enough to win it with whatever competition might show up, but he is just, he's such a scene stealer and the the delivery of his lines is completely awesome. Um, Some other roles that pop up or some other performances, I should say, Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett show up as these um, TV show talk show hosts for like, kind of like a, the way it sounds, sounds like a midday talk show, like news talk show you might see on like, you know, CNN, Fox News, where, yeah, they're reporting current events, but they're not doing it in like a, you know, scary kind of way where they're trying to almost scare their audiences into whoever has opposing views than them. Timothy Chalamet, I always feel like I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but Timothy Chalamet shows up uh, playing a, a role that doesn't really show up to like the third act. He's just kind of this loser punk kid. Um, uh, Ariana Grande plays basically Ariana Grande, just with a different name, and she's kind of poking fun at herself, which I guess is kind of cool. Is it Mark R- R- Rylance, I think is his last name? I, I don't want to screw that up, but he plays kind of like a a billionaire tech tycoon, you know, Zuckerberg meets Bezos, Bezos kind of character. Uh, Ron Perlman is in there for a few scenes, and he is fucking hilarious in his few scenes. Michael Chiklis shows up very briefly as kind of like a Fox News-esque talk show host. Uh, yeah, this just has a fucking killer cast in it. Um, Kid Cudi pops up in a couple scenes as well. The rapper Kid Cudi plays um, 
Ariana Grande's character's on again, off again boyfriend. I should probably get to the plot of this movie if you haven't, if you if you don't know what the movie is about. Um, Adam McKay makes a lot of films that are comical but have a lot of commentary, which I'm going to get into in just a minute. But the plot of the movie is very simple. Uh, you know, two astronomers, or one of them, I should say, it's actually Jennifer Lawrence's character in the opening scene. She's just kind of hanging out at work and she discovers a comet. And then Leonardo DiCaprio's character shows up, and they're all having a good time, like, oh, cool, we found a comet. And they start kind of mapping its, like, path it's going on through the universe. And they realize it's coming right to Earth, and it's going to level the planet. And what happens from there is now the two of them end up having to tell government officials that, look, uh, this is going to hit the world, and pretty much everything we know uh, everything's going to come to an end. Like the world's basically going to come to an end. We will not be surviving this, uh, comet hitting the planet. And then they have to go on like this press tour and it just becomes such a fucking nightmare. And it becomes such a commentary on what happens in this world that, you know, today, pretty much in contemporary commentary on this world, and when something crazy happens, like, let's say, coronavirus or climate change, and I know I'm sounding like a liberal asshole right now, and I don't even consider myself a liberal, but let's just say stuff like that happens. And, you know, the what basically how people react to it and how divisive it becomes and how, you know, oh, you know, people are just, you know, trying to spread fear when we're actually trying to spread facts or... Oh, you know, it, it it's just such a big commentary on, I feel like mainly America, I can't speak for the other countries, but, you know, here are these two scientists as the leads who find scientific proof that we are in trouble and, you know, the earth, the planet's basically going to come to an end and people just kind of treat them like laughing stocks. And now I will say this, which is a testament to, I think, how good of a storyteller Adam McKay and his his writing team can be, um, you know, they don't necessarily make Leonardo DiCaprio's character like this this good guy who's trying to, you know, spread scientific facts when everybody thinks, you know, they're, they're just lying and through their teeth. Like Leonardo DiCaprio's character briefly kind of takes a sidebar and becomes kind of a shithead for a little part of the movie, which I thought was kind of cool. You know, even the characters you're rooting for, it feels like in this story, also are flawed as well. Um, I won't, I'll let you see the movie to check it out. It's it's a little long, it's two and a half hours, uh, but, you know, it's just such an entertaining two and a half hours. And the ending of this movie, the whole time while this is happening and everything's culminating, and basically what we find out is the Earth has about six months to live before the comet hits. Uh, so, you know, there's time for pandemonium to ensue throughout the movie. Um, these absolutely zany bullshit ideas become, you know, thrown out there of how we could maybe stop the comet. Uh, and that's where the uh, billion dollar, um, you know, tech tycoon kind of comes into play. And, you know, with thinking that they're going to launch nukes, but then they realize that there's a... Uh, these uh, raw materials and whatnot and like things that we can use you know to build things now because we'll have that resource so they're just gonna fucking let the comet hit us um i know i'm spoiling a little bit but uh th there's just so much shit that you know 
like has to be talked about in these offices in the government or in these big fancy you know boardrooms somewhere in america when shit's hitting the fan but they think oh wait a minute fuck the people you know we got something that we can maybe make a lot of money at um adam mckay's been making films like this for a while uh, a couple of years ago, he made uh, the movie Vice, uh, which was a movie about uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney, played by Christian Bale, who, you know, got, I believe he ate like a ton of apple pies or blueberry pies to put on weight so quick. Um, and it was, um, it was a really, really good movie. And again, it was comical, but I also thought it was actually very serious and dark by the end of the movie. Uh, he also made something called The Big Short which is about the stock market came out in 2015. And I would say this, the big short and don't look up have a lot of similarities with, uh, comedy and kind of satire and social messages, um, a little more than maybe vice does, but people also remember Adam McKay and he got his start really as Will Ferrell's writer on Saturday night live. And that's why they were frequent collaborators early on in their career. Unfortunately, I heard they had a falling out recently, which, happens but it's unfortunate to hear but adam mckay and will ferrell did you know a few films together early on i mean everybody knows anchorman everybody knows a film like the other guys which is funny because those two movies kind of subtly throw some commentary into them uh anchorman actually people forget this but anchorman has a lot to say about women trying to make it in news television in the 1970s and, you know, nobody really talks about that, but it's something I picked up on even early on when I saw it when I was like like 15 or 16 years old. Not bragging or anything, but um, in the other guys with uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, in the end credits, it has all these like facts about these Ponzi schemes that happen on Wall Street and how much, you know, the rich basically robbed from the poor and fucked them out of so much shit. So Adam McKay's really been at movies like this for a long time i think maybe it's just gone over audiences heads from time to time so i feel like his new film is like a culmination of a you know a lot of few past projects it's really funny it has <laughs> it has it is really a nice blend of what i think he's tried to do in his past few films and a little bit of a callback to his early stuff uh, with just the characters, like, again, like Jonah Hill's character, Meryl Streep, who, I mean, I love Meryl Streep, but I never really find her funny, to be honest. I think Meryl Streep's fucking hilarious in this movie. Uh, Kate Blanchett, hilarious in this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio, hilarious in this movie. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, hilarious in this movie. Everybody's really funny, but you can't help but think, wow, this, I feel like this is a mirror on the world today. Again, everybody's got Netflix, so just hop on there, check it out. It's been pretty polarizing. I've read a lot of you know social media posts of people just, yeah, they get it, but it's a little too much of Adam McKay maybe being a little too into himself and his beliefs. I didn't really feel that way. I, I definitely, I guess just because I'm a sucker for a good movie that, you know, is talking about something in the world and doing it in, I don't want to say a lighthearted way because it's clearly not lighthearted at all but it's just doing it in a way that's appealing to audiences. And I I don't think Adam McKay misses the mark here as a director. Uh, and I, I just, I think there's just so many little small things in the movie that are just so fucking hilarious and such a commentary on like the United States government. 
just in the opening scene alone when uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character are waiting to meet with the president. Um, I, I'm just going to give this away. I don't care. But one of like the four-star generals is there waiting with them and says, uh, you know, we got to get something to eat. Like, you know, give me 10 bucks each of you and I'll, I'll go to the vending machine and get us a bag of chips each or something. And, you know, I think it was one of them goes like, it's $10 for a bag of chips. And he goes, yeah, this is the white house. And so he comes back, you know, with chips, gives it to him and, you know, you forget about it. But then like later on, they're, they're back at the white house meeting with the president. And I think Jennifer Lawrence's character goes into like a break room where there's a vending machine and all you got to do is like punch in a code and you get your bag of Cheez-Its and there's just somebody sitting in there on their break and she just goes, they're free? And <laughs> like the person sitting there goes like, yeah, it's the White House. And then there's this like quick little subplot of, you know, that four-star general just took $40 from us. It, there's just great little scenarios that happen that just, you know, are a perfect example of, you know, the basic common American citizen getting shit on by higher-ups. And I think Adam McKay is a champion of people, you know, standing up for the little guy in his movies. And, you know, I'll continue to watch what he does. I know he's a producer on, um, I think he's a producer on Succession. And, you know, I, I still have not started Succession, even though everybody tells me to watch it. Um, I will get on that, but... Uh, I, I recommend Don't Look Up. If it's not for everybody, it's not for everybody. But I, I just, I think the payoff in the end, I'm not going to give away the ending, but like I started I started to think in like the last 20 minutes, like are they actually going to do what they're actually going to do to end this movie? And I'm not going to say anymore because I thought it was just, I thought it was a good little whammy to end the film. So that one is on Netflix. I think it hit on Christmas Eve they filmed some of that, if not all of that. Maybe it was just probably some of it, but they filmed some of it up in uh, where I'm from, up in Massachusetts. I know there's some kind of central and eastern mass towns that got to be in, and I was keeping an eye out for, you know, some people I knew who got to be extras in it. I didn't see anybody, but, you know, maybe I just wasn't paying attention at the time, but Don't Look Up is on Netflix right now. Check it out. Okay, next up on my list is something I've been waiting all year to see once I heard he was making this movie. Uh, and once the trailer dropped, again, I was just hooked. I needed this now, and I heard it was coming out on, um, I heard it was coming out Christmas Day nationwide, but it had been out in New York and L.A. for about the past month. Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, Licorice Pizza, was released, and I was able to go check it out. Now, judging from the trailer alone, you know, I just knew this was going to be for me. I love coming-of-age stories. They're just always, especially coming-of-age films that take place, like, in a time period of whether I grew up in that time period or not. I mean, we, we do see kind of a lot of films out now that take place in the 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s we see a lot more. And I, I've always heard that sometimes directors, contemporary directors, always like to try to make things from like 20 or 30 years prior or make films that take place 20 or 30 years prior, I should say, because they're kind of reflecting how they grew up. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is doing that here. Uh, Licorice Pizza takes place in the San Fernando Valley uh, outside of LA and Hollywood, which I believe is where he grew up. And I believe he still lives. So to give you the basic 
kind of plot here. It's a story of young love, I guess you could say. You know, it is kind of a cool love story because they never actually, you know, really are dating the two leads. You know, they just kind of find each other and kind of go in and out of each other through these, you know, different like segments throughout the movie. The movie's about two hours, 15 minutes. If I were to maybe be nitpicky, I'd maybe shave about 15 minutes off. There's a little bit of kind of dragging and neandering going on from time to time but um that's besides the fact that this is just an awesome fun coming of age story um the movie stars cooper hoffman who is the son of late great uh philip seymour hoffman um alana Haim, who plays well alana and i believe she's i don't know enough about her but i know she's a musician i think she's in a band with her sisters or something you know if anybody knows more truth that you know Feel free to reach out to me and maybe I'll do a correction on the air next episode. But um, they're just these two people that there's actually like a, I think like an eight to 10 year age difference between them because Cooper Hoffman's character, Gary Valentine, is still in high school. And Alana is like working as like an assistant at uh, photo day for school photos. And they just meet and they have this just really charming first scene together where you almost think they know each other it, it's almost I, I i within minutes i i remember going oh okay they don't like go to the same school they don't know each other um she's older than him and you know gary valentine cooper hoffman's character is just he's so charming he's so confident you know and you know he's just this very you know you can tell he's just like really got the hots for her but it's done in such a i guess i could say appropriate kind of way and, you know, I think Boy Meets Girls tales are a little, you know, you can't really do them like you used to, and w- which is rightfully so. You know, you got to kind of have this an equal thing because that's a good equal telling of both sides because that's what relationships are. It's not a one-sided thing. And I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson does that really well in this film. So to just kind of go a little deep into the plot without giving too much away even though I don't I don't really think there's much to give away it, it it turns out a lot of what's going on in this movie is a little loosely based on true stories I guess um this is just from what I've been reading off of other people's reviews and whatnot but uh the character of Gary Valentine I believe is loosely based on someone named Gary Goatsman I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right I'm doing a bad job tonight pronouncing names but he was a child actor in the late 60s and early 70s, which is why Gary in the movie is a child actor. And he's kind of moving out of being taking those child actor roles and doing more teen roles. He's, he's kind of at a weird transitional time in his life. Um, he's also a hell of a like startup businessman for 1973. Um, you know, he launches like a waterbed company that sells waterbeds and then sells like pinball machines towards the end of the film um but anyway i I guess this character is based off gary goatsman who ended up who's in the film industry he ended up becoming a longtime collaborator of uh with um jonathan demi and uh he's now tom hanks's producing partner it's seen i guess um but him and paul thomas anderson i guess are good friends and he told him all these outrageous stories of growing up in the San Fernando Valley, and and that's what we kind of see in the movie with these stories, with these characters, with these two lead characters, and 
the hijinks they uh, go through. To bring it back full circle, one of the first kind of big things to kick off the movie is, you know, because uh, Cooper Hoffman's character, Gary Valentine, hopefully I'm not confusing anybody, is still a minor, and he's going on this uh, variety show. It's one of his acting gigs, but he needs a chaperone, so that's where he asks Alana to travel with him. And he goes on this variety show, and the kind of big star guest on it is a character named Lucy Doolittle, but from the second you meet her, to bring it full circle (laughs) with this episode, is it just seems like Lucille Ball out of the gate, just an older, older Lucille Ball in the 1970s after she divorced Ricky. Um, but like, there's just a funny thing that happens and I, I don't want to get, it's, it's a real quick little thing, but it's something um, Gary does and that just completely pisses off who's supposed to be Lucy. And I, I guess they never got the rights to use these names, I guess, of the, the actual names of these characters they're trying to portray. So they just kind of twisted a little bit, which I guess is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, there, there's all these kind of crazy little featured roles that pop up. Um, I think a lot of people know Bradley Cooper shows up in the movie as kind of a portrayal of a, I guess, a true notorious hairdresser turned movie producer, John Peters, who was dating Barbara Streisand at the time uh, that this film takes place. And I believe he was kind of a womanizer and whatnot. It definitely comes off that way. And, you know, he just goes absolutely batshit crazy. I I think some stuff that you see in the previews with Bradley Cooper may have gotten cut for the movie uh, because it's a kind of a bit part. I wanted a little more out of it, but um, either way, he's 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 pretty entertaining for what what he's on for when he's in it. Uh, The other kind of big featured supporting role, Sean Penn pops up for a little bit and he's playing a character called Jack Holden, which is a nod to the actor William Holden. Uh, and something crazy kind of happens there. Um, Tom Waits pops up as a character named Rex Blue who knows Jack Holden. And I guess from what I've read is Tom Waits' character is a mix of someone like Sam Fuller or Sam Peckinpah. And uh, one half of the Safdie brothers, the directing duo who made Uncut Gems, uh, Benny Safdie, uh, plays a real-life politician, Joel Watts, and something crazy kind of happens to him at the end. Alana joins his campaign team, and I don't know, there, there's kind of a, a um, there's something that happens at a dinner party. You know, the backdrop of this film uh, includes the oil crisis in 1973, uh, it's post-Vietnam, it, it's just kind of this crazy slice-of-life hangout movie of just these you know, you don't really get a lot of movies of like free wheeling American stories in American cinema anymore. You know, the they shot this movie on thirty five millimeter widescreen just to kind of give it that nineteen seventies look, which I think works so well. Like you're just transported into this world. Um, it feels very Harold and Maude esque, which is directed by Hal Ashby. I may add, who just kind of made movies like this about two misfits, you know, finding each other and just bonding. It just also kind of feels like an Altman film to me. I'm just dropping some names here. If you wanna, if you enjoy Licorice Pizza, you know, just look up some of those names, and you know, you might be able to make a double feature out of it. But this was just such a fun movie. Again, I just love coming-of-age films. It, this was just my bag from start to finish. Um, I know I had a top five of the year, and I think at the end of the episode last Monday, I said I hadn't seen Licorice Pizza yet. 
Um, I don't know if I'd put it in my top five yet, but if I made a top ten, you bet your ass licorice pizza is in that list. So it's in cinemas everywhere. Go see it. It has a phenomenal soundtrack with with bands like The Doors, Nina Simone, uh, Paul McCartney and Wings. I think Chuck Berry's got a song in there. There's just, you know, there's, it's just a cool soundtrack. Again, just to go off the bit part roles, I believe Maya Rudolph pops up in there from you know SNL fame and whatnot, and you know other films. But Maya Rudolph pops up in there briefly, but she is. Uh, I forgot this until I saw her on screen. Um, her and Paul Thomas Anderson. I guess they're not. I don't know if they're married, but they're a couple. They've been together for a while. Um, I think he, she's popped up in a few of his films, just kind of as bit parts, and I think that's just him putting his his wife or whatever label they have on it in their, uh, in his movie, um, go see licorice pizza. It's in theaters nationwide. Now. Um, I was counting down the days till it hit theaters nationwide because I'm not in New York or LA. Uh, just so much goddamn fun. So I know I said at the top of the show, I had four, but I actually forgot here. I kind of squeezed one in on my list. I watched a documentary, uh, today, so I needed to add this in, and um, this was just such a, a, a beautiful documentary that's been showing up on network television, actually, rather than in theaters. I don't think it'll get some sort of theatrical run. Um, I, I, let me just start by saying I know this is not a sports show. I don't really talk a lot of sports on this on this podcast. You can get your sports from a million other podcasts, whether it's through uh, NBC, Fox, CBS Sports, or ESPN, um, I don't, I don't provide that. But I, I, I still really only watch football, and it's really my only go-to sport. I watch every Sunday or Saturday and Sunday once the playoffs hit. Um, you know, and I got my friends who I talk football with, and sometimes my a lot of my film nerd friends don't want to hear me talk about you know the Patriots and Tom Brady and or Mac Jones or Bill Belichick, but. This is a sports documentary you need to watch um, whenever awards season happens for, you know, whether it's the Emmys or something. I think the team behind this is really going to get some recognition. Uh, as we know, um, a couple days ago, actually, yeah, about a very contemporary, like four or five, six days ago, the great John Madden passed away. And it's almost eerie how this all kind of happened because a documentary came out Christmas Day called All Madden. And, you know, the, All Madden meaning, you know, that there's, I mean, he's such an icon of the sport of football. Um, there was the All Madden team that they did every year at the end of every year. Um, I, you know, I think that's just a reference to that name. This is like an hour and a half long, and it just follows his career of when he was a coach, he was a coach for the Raiders for 10 years throughout the late 60s into the 70s. And, you know, he has like a big winning record, I believe. I don't know the exact title on that. Um, you know, sports fans know it by now, especially Raiders fans. You know, he won them a Super Bowl. And, you know, he ended up becoming a really, really, you know, winning coach. And then he had to step down. I think he stepped down for personal reasons, you know. I'm sure being a professional football coach takes time away from your family and you know John Madden seems like a stand-up guy he probably needed to be with his family and his wife needed him around more so I tip my hat to someone like that honestly I've kind of been in that situation before not at that level but I get it that is kind of the first you know for like 15 20 minutes of the film 
the rest of the film kind of goes into the John Madden, maybe people my age know, that grew up with him as a sports broadcaster throughout the 80s and the 90s until he finally stepped down. I believe his last broadcast was the Super Bowl in 2008. And, you know, him and Pat Summerall just are like these two iconic voices of sports broadcasting. Like hearing the two of them call a game is embedded in my mind as a football fan. Someone I just, I just grew up on those guys. And John Madden just had such an amazing persona, like a larger than life character, but yet he's also seemed so down to earth. He seemed like your cool grandpa at a barbecue, yet he was this big tycoon and pretty much seems like looking back now the guy was like the godfather of professional football and you know this is obviously just a mo- a documentary kind of in retrospect of his career um and he's in it and this is where things just get really bittersweet um they they, they film him sitting in a chair like i guess he has a home studio at least that's what an article i read said and i, I if he's got a home studio that looks like this, wow, this is like a lot of money poured into a home, like, you know, studio set for him to work from, even in his old age. I mean that respectfully. But, um, you know, he's just sitting there. You know, he does his parts where he talks to the camera. And, you know, I, you know, he, did, he hadn't really been in the public eye, really, for a long time. So it was crazy to kind of see how much he had aged. And, you know... He just talks about his career, talks about things, and then, you know, he's watching the video of other people being interviewed, talking about him, and talking about all the love they have for him, and all the admiration, all the credit he deserves. And then, you know, we get to kind of the last few minutes, and then, like, his two sons are saying how proud he is of him, and... You know, they cut to him sitting there watching, like, all these people telling him how much he loves him and how much they just adore what he's done for the game of football. And you can see him kind of get a little misty-eyed, and his voice gets a little shaky when he talks. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, I think I can only speak for being a guy, but, like, I think at the end of every guy's life we probably want something like that we probably want a this is your life moment these are the people that cared about you to sit there and basically tell you these things and I'm sure maybe a good percentage of us get something like that but the fact that you know now he's he's he passed away and I watched the documentary the documentary dropped before he passed away and I don't think it was getting a lot of buzz I think it was just you know, something for, you can catch on network television if you want. Um, and you know, maybe it would just fizzle out and go away. But I think the fact that he passed away three days after it aired, all of a sudden, like, you know, Fox is airing it, you know, here and there, uh, NFL network is airing it like a prime time. Uh, you can stream it on uh, Peacock. I think ESPN might have it somewhere on their app. And oddly enough, I found this on Tubi the free streaming platform that slowly has been expanding, I think, over the last year or so, because it's free, but it's ad-based. And it popped up on there the other night, and I was like, huh. I knew he had just passed, and I, I sat there and watched it and was just so emotionally moved by this documentary, just completely, like, especially... I think if I may have watched it when it premiered Christmas Day, I would have, you know, I would have found it moving, but... 
in knowing that he passed away three days later and once it gets to that ending and he has all these people talking to him about how much he means to them is just oh my god i'm getting chills just thinking about it i'm, I'm getting almost kind of misty-eyed just thinking about it too like that's that is a hell of a send-off i don't know if that's appropriate for me to say but for him to get something like that at the end of his life is is just nothing short of beautiful um again like if if you're not a football fan i still highly recommend checking this out if you can track it down it, it's on some streaming platforms like i said you can catch it for free on tubi right now i but i i don't care if you've never watched a game of football if you've never played any of the madden football games if you've if you have and you've just been a, a fan of what he's done i think even so like it'll mean more to you but it's it's just such a beautiful documentary and props to the people that put it together you know maybe his passing did kind of push it up to the forefront into people's laps a little more uh, I could be wrong about that maybe I shouldn't say that but I feel like a lot more people are talking about it since he died but it, it's, it is a beautiful documentary it's it's called All Madden um, you know just give it a search if just you can get Peacock for free you don't have to buy the upgrade I believe it's on there you can if you got cable just track it down I don't know um, I can't say enough about this thing. I'm, I'm going to be talking about this for a while with my, my football friends, my my friends who love football. Um, the guy really did a lot for that sport. Uh, a lot. Of, he was just, he was, you know, he was very inclusive to all the players. Um, the, his video game franchise, I guess, made $7 billion. And all his money, he not all of it, but, you know, a lot of his money he made, I guess he kicked back into the NFL Players Union to help these, you know, retired players who are going to deal with some health problems later in life. The guy's a patron saint of the NFL, and I think he's, you know, unfortunately last of a dying breed. And I'll end on this. I read an article about the movie uh, this morning, actually. Uh, ESPN did a, a write-up called, um, I'll leave a link in the show notes, um, John Madden's Beautiful Goodbye. And I guess the film, like I said, premiered on um, Christmas Day. And I guess he sat down with his wife and his entire family, and they watched it all together as a family on Christmas Day. And then the next day was him and his wife's 62nd wedding anniversary. I hope I go that long in marriage as long as they did. And then two days later, he passed away, unexpectedly, from what we're told. I just, that pattern, and, you know, it also reads that, you know, he was so happy with the finished product of the documentary. And, you know, texting all his, you know, old friends that, you know, who had seen it and just kind of reminiscing with them. And he left on a beautiful high note. I think that's what we all hope for when we get up there if you know what i mean so i'm gonna leave on a high note if that's really a high note um be back next week with some guests we got some great guests lined up here on the basement uh to talk some cool things uh film oriented or just media oriented and whatnot um and again all these movies you can check them out i believe i mentioned where you can um i'll just do a quick run through real quick uh, Matrix Resurrections is on HBO Max, but you can also catch in the movie theater. Being the Ricardos is on Amazon Prime. 
Don't Look Up is on Netflix. Licorice Pizza, I think, is strictly only in the movie theaters. Um, and All Madden, I believe, to my knowledge, I'm sure it's playing on cable from time to time, maybe on the NFL Network. Uh, if you don't have that, get Tubi. It's free. Or get Peacock. It's free if you don't upgrade it. And you can probably check it out on there. And until then, I will see you all next week on The Basement. Everybody take care. Take care.